Hello, and welcome to Making Creativity Pay, the podcast where we talk to people in creative industries about how they promote and market their work. I'm Dan Barnett, and on this episode, we'll be speaking to comedian Steph Aritone. We talk about her show, Excel Esteem, that she's performing at both the Camden and Edinburgh Fringes, bringing an analytical eye to comedy and her plans for promoting the show. We'll also be talking about her podcast, The Comedy Wine List, where she talks to comedians about wine, comedy, and more. We started out by talking about how she was gearing up for festival season. Yeah, we've got yeah a month to go. There's just so much admin. It's all it's all marketing, but then at the same time, you're trying to polish up jokes and stuff and actually create the end product. But yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah, without jumping into the middle, obviously you're towards the end of August. So you, you've got a bit more time than everyone else. You can kind of watch them all panic. You think that, however, I do have Camden Fringe at the beginning of August, where I'm doing a work in progress. So yeah, I guess... It's not as difficult as generating the finished product, but still needs to kind of be there by that point. Yeah, I'm, I'm speaking actually to a couple of people behind the Camden Fringe to talk about that and kind of how it differs to Edinburgh in terms of the, the feel and everything else. It, it seems like a kind of a nice in-between where you can do maybe two or three nights, but you're not committed to a full month or, or a week like you're doing. Yeah, it's it's sort of a really interesting festival because as someone who lives in London, it would probably be more financially viable for me to do a week run at Camden and two days up at Edinburgh. But it just doesn't work that way. It's sort of the reverse. The end of the podcast is to kind of talk around promotion, marketing, sales, all, all that kind of stuff, all the... All the boring stuff, effectively, around right. you know the kind of creative industry. So you know, talking to musicians, comedians, podcasters about kind of you know how they get the message across in a world where so much is free. How do you kind of get any kind of? You know, how do you pay the bills effectively? How, how do you manage to keep going? Yeah, amazing questions. As a full-time market researcher who works under marketing teams, I've also kind of got the day job side of that as well like how do you build brands how do you create awareness how do you create mental availability so yeah I guess maybe I look at it from different lenses to some creatives out there but in a lens that very much drives me mad because I'm also trying to measure metrics at the same time as being creative so it's a bit bonkers you show it's it's a bit it's kind of creative but also a bit more geeky as well yeah that's right so maybe you've picked up on it, Dan, but the flyer is essentially me on top of an Excel spreadsheet, spilling coffee all down myself. And it is essentially about a woman's struggle to control her life and how addicted I am to Excel spreadsheets. So it's a bit of a multimedia. I've actually just bought, so this is another cost added to the whole production, just bought a projector to use within the room itself to actually show people how I track my entire life. So they'll see my life going back four years. And yeah, the inspo for that really was I've shown my spreadsheets to friends, family and everyone before. And I've always loved the reaction that I get off the back of that, which is just pure horror. And I kind of just wanted to emulate that in a room. And I just find it really funny. So you're a big fan of the quantified self then? You know, tracking sleep, tracking... Uh-huh. Tracking alcohol, cigarettes, all sorts of things. I'm tracking feelings now. Things that I'm not very good at tracking, but I'm learning. That will also be in the show. Yeah, I just don't think... Numbers don't lie, right? Absolutely. Is it your first year at the Fringe or have you been up before? So I did a split bill last year with... My friend Ben Ashurst, we did a show called The Marriage Pact. We did that for two weeks, but this will be my first 45-minute. We call it the coward's hour. I'm sure you've heard that term before. I've um, actually where... You haven't. Oh, all of us comedians use it. It's a length of time where reviewers technically can't come in and review your show. And okay. it's not long enough to be a debut. So you can really kind of 
get into the spirit of the fringe and actually have a solo show without all of the pressure. So it's not a work in progress, but it is a coward's hour. So I'm just edging myself closer to being able to do the full debut, but very much with the gimmicks of Excel spreadsheets, because I think even doing just pure stand-up at 45 minutes is quite difficult for an audience member maybe to sit through. So you really have to make sure you're throwing all sorts of tools their way and just keeping it engaging throughout especially in August when it's going to be super warm and muggy, probably. And does it help then that you're, you're 12, 15, you know, rather than 8 o'clock at night? Do you think you'll get a bit more of an attentive audience? I hope so. I think it'll be a different audience. I know that some of the rooms at the Edinburgh Fringe do heat up over the course of a day. I've gone in and it's very much smelled like BO by 9pm, so hopefully I'll avoid all of that. Yeah, it's a really, really good question. I don't know if I'm honest, because my split bill last year was 3pm, 3.45 they were really attentive but my issue is struggling to kind of get up at the right time because I also have a compilation show that's late night so we'll see how many hours of sleep I actually manage in that last week yeah I guess you, whether you do it the other way around you've got between when your show finishes at one and then the next one's at was it ten half ten so you have to just work the night shift yeah and trying to just catch naps where I can I think that'll be really important downtime introvert time because I think all of us creative secretly, we do need a lot of alone time to be able to do our craft. Yeah. And so with with a 12.15, I mean, that kind of leaves you with less time to kind of mark it in the morning. I know your your shows are on pay what you can. Is Do you expect a lot of people to be on the day? And you know, does that kind of add its own stress as well? I really do, especially when you're doing the free fringe. I think 90% of our sales for the split bill last year came from flyering people. And there's also a Uh, saying that we have in the comedy industry that you're flyering not for the day itself you're flyering for the next two days or couple of days where people might be rushing past you on that time slot but you can kind of catch them later on in the week if they're still looking for stuff and I think that's where the compilation show really kicks in for me because not only will I be able to talk about my show later on in the day at a compilation show but the flyers I'm using will actually be double-sided so I'm actually hoping to drive traffic to both shows because I'll be flyering twice in one day and if someone says oh i'm busy sorry i could be like well <laughs> 10 10 p.m i'll catch you there i'll see you later so yeah it's it's pretty nifty trick i've pulled this year no excuses yeah in terms of the pricing pay pay what you want do you have a kind of strategy set of techniques for kind of is it guilt is it you know almost kind of you know well, the best word, threatening the audience to say well you know you've had a good time you better pay me how do you kind of try and maximize return, you know, from an analyst's point of view? If I'm honest, you do the bucket speech with humor. So it's less about guilt. It's more about, I I don't go down the guilt way. And I'm also someone who sees this as as an investment in myself. I'm at quite an early stage in my comedy career. So I full well know I'm going to lose money on the Edinburgh Fringe. I'm not going on holiday this year as a result. That's kind of where I'm recuperating my loss in a very kind of depressing way. So the best bucket that we had last year, if I'm honest, was when we were quite open and honest with the audience. And we said for two weeks of this Edinburgh Fringe, it's cost us 500 quid just in admin fees just to even be here. And that's not including accommodation costs, blah, blah, blah. So even with the title Free Fringe, it can be a little bit misleading sometimes. And when you're open with the audience, they find it really fascinating. You know, how do you register for a Edinburgh Fringe show? Oh, it's actually the creatives that are getting priced out the most. And that's not guilt. 
I guess that's just honesty and integrity. And if they want to help you, they do. And if not, then you get them to follow you on social media and at least you have something out of it, I suppose. And in terms of that, are you going to kind of push to say, you know, when people come in, whether you have QR codes here, then everywhere for those kind of things to, to push them to various channels? Is, is, is that in place? That is in place. Not only do we have QR codes on every poster and every flyer, but I don't know if you caught on my Twitter that I have coded key rings that take people to my link tree if they hover their phone over it. So NFC enabled software. So I'm getting techie this year as well. And Linktree has the beauty of having its own analytics going on in the background. So I know exactly how many people have clicked that link and from which sources. So I'll be able to tell kind of which is the most profitable. Not that that really matters at this stage, but it might later on. Are you planning to put any of that back into the show? Or is that a bit too much? Could do. No, no, it's everything. Everything is data to me and everything is fascinating. I could, what I would like to do probably, and I did it at Brighton Fringe, was create a QR code that took people to a live survey. And I could maybe just do some market research at the end of that. Like, why did you come to this show? Was it a leaflet? Was it online? Blah, blah, blah. And I could kind of share that with the wider comedy community by the end of the fringe rather than in the show itself. Because I think that's the whole point. You kind of have to give back to the community. And that's really where you get the most opportunities because, yeah, people see you as a genuinely helpful person (laughs) and more people should do that. Yeah. And in terms of kind of online marketing, NFC, do you still see Twitter as a tool to promote or it it seems almost like it's, it's on its last legs? It just seems that there's nothing there anymore. I don't believe that. And only because I am a very, very recent Twitter joiner. So I've only really done it in the last year. And really, it kicked off for me when I was doing an online show for Next Up, and I was doing kind of the real first iteration of the Excel stuff. I got some real awesome followers out the back of that, some real classic people just like me who are really nerdy into data. And you kind of just find a really cool community through Twitter sometimes. And the, the quality of that sort of person that engages with you is, is so much higher because they've engaged with exactly what you do. I don't know how Threads is going to change everything. I don't really think it is because the audience is the same as my Instagram audience and they don't really know me as well. So I think Twitter is a, we'll see. But the whole of the Edinburgh Fringe site is linked to Twitter, isn't it? So when you click on an event, you can see all of the tweets of that person so you get yes. a sense of who they are much easier but unfortunately i put it on to myself that musk has messed that up now because you have to log in to see certain suites if if you've got an embedded profile because if you go on your page now you'll see it says nothing to see here in your little twitter box but you can link to a specific tweet and that'll show but if it's the timeline it goes no don't want to know so you know musk shooting himself in the foot there yeah i mean he's i don't know what his game plan is really He's just made it worse for everyone involved. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you're doing a, a week in your show. Is is that partly because, like you said, it's your kind of you're doing your coward's hour, you're you're working your way into it. Would you've liked to have done longer, but you know, the financials are, are difficult? I will be there for two weeks. So I'll be really running my compilation show for half of August. And then the Excel for Steam one will start. And that'll be really, really cool because I'd have gotten a chance to just finally practice those last last few jokes. If I'm perfectly honest, the reason I'm not doing it for longer was because there weren't enough time slots left. I was trying to do it with PBH, but so competitive for those slots. And they have fewer venues, I think. So I went to Laughing Horse instead. 
and they only had that really good time slot at lunch for the final week. Otherwise, I would have had to do it late at night. And I'm not sure getting people to focus on Excel while they're half drunk late at night is really... Even the nerds, even the mm. nerds, I think I might have struggled. Well, the nerds so lunchtime was perfect. It, well, exactly. Or they'll just be doing other nerdy things like, I don't know, magic shows or, you know. So I might lose my footfall there. I mean, when did you have to get your pitch in and, and try and get that spot? Was that six months ago or...? It was it was as soon as it kind of opened up, I submitted and I kind of chased a few times and then they finally got back to me with remaining spots. So you gotta be organized in this game. And I've done a few fringes now this year, Brighton, Leicester, Camden next, and then Edinburgh. So yeah, I've had a chance to trial out a few times and no one's fallen asleep, so that's a good sign. And in the compilation show, is is there a lot of work in terms of getting people on or are people really keen to kind of just jump on board? Bit of both. People are now getting really keen, especially in July, because I think this is a month where ticket sales start trickling in, but not as quickly as people would expect, I think. Camden Fringe has actually been super useful. They shared a graph very recently by email to show like 90% of ticket sales actually happen in the August. And I'm assuming Edinburgh Fringe is sort of similar. So there's a lot of panic in this month as people start finalising their shows. So now I'm struggling to put people into the lineups on the days that they requested. And honestly, I have some really good lineups on this show, like people that I would be very happy to pay to see myself. Just to be able to see 10 minutes of what they do on stage is going to be really awesome. But now it's up to me to put a lot of time into social mediaing that and uh, letting people know that it exists. Yeah, fantastic. So, lots of work. The, the free fringe was kind of what you wanted to do. Were you ever tempted to kind of go down the, 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 the paid route, or was that just, just too much, and it, it would have just been far too expensive? So, I guess it's like a, it's a sort of hierarchy system at the Edinburgh Fringe, isn't it? You've got the sort of Pleasants up top, Gilded Balloons, those big ones. Just the tonic is somewhere in the middle. Then you've got Laughing Horse, where you do still pay, even though it's called free fringe. And then you've got PBH, which is the true free fringe because it is genuinely free for artists. Accommodation is obviously still not free. So I've gone down the Laughing Horse route, which still has its own admin costs. But the bulk of those admin costs actually come from being listed on the Edinburgh Fringe website and being in the printed brochure. Two things that you kind of can't not pay for, especially if you go down that route. Like It's actually in the contract. You still have to have to pay for some of that. So running two shows, it's really interesting because one lasts the whole month. And the other only last the final week. Both have cost me pretty much the same, depending on if I wanted it printed or not. Yeah. So it's odd how it's been calculated, but I'm getting so much out of the both of them that I'm really happy to invest that for now. For now. Yeah. I mean, one thing talking to people in the past, you know, they kind of see the you know, month. It's a challenge. You do it because it's there, like climbing a mountain. But there doesn't seem to be much flexibility in that. You, know, you kind of say, right, well, here's here's a, a room for a month and there's four of us and we're going to split it up however we see fit. There, there doesn't seem to be that much, much of that kind of thing. It's kind of almost everyone for themselves and kind of trying to squeeze into different you know time zones and so on. It would be, I think my theory on that is that it is like herding cats if we all try to do it. It, I try. I think with the compilation show I was running, I, in my mind, thought I would be splitting it with someone, financially at least, but it's not happened that way. So I've been trying to kind of figure out a way of getting stuff out of it myself, despite only being there for two weeks, despite it running the whole time. So that has made me think a little bit more creatively. So the flyers for The Witching Hour are double-sided. Although we're advertising it for the whole month, the Excel for Steam show is on the back. 
only the last week, but at least I'm pushing awareness to that show as well somehow. And that will really be the only thing I get out of it for those first two weeks, despite paying for all of it. Yeah. So yeah, you've got to kind of make some really interesting choices. And I'd have loved to split it, but people just don't have the money. And how much beyond The Fringe do you see the show going? I mean, do you have plans in place for the the subsequent months to kind of build it up, tour tour it around and so on? Interesting question. I think with The Witching Hour, (laughs) there's just so many possibilities with just the jargon that we can use around the show. Like, I don't say laughing, I say cackling. I'll be asking women in the audience who their familiar is and just pointing to the man that they've brought to the show, for example, getting the audience to boo. Like, it's going to be a lot of fun. So it's a possibility that we could start a night centred around that later on. With self-esteem, I would really like to build it out into an hour eventually and do things like women in comedy for the Manchester Festival, maybe in 2024, maybe take it to Leicester, just keep doing those fringes as well. But that centres around money and that would be another year where I don't get to go on holiday. So I might take a rest in the middle. We'll see. I know you've got your podcast as well. Is that still, I know, I think it's been a while since that's run now. Is that kind of to one side or will you bring it back? I will be bringing it back in the winter. So I think having a full-time job, doing comedy on the side, to run a podcast alongside that would be incredibly difficult. But in the winter, I'll be back on my looking for wine shops to sponsor us. So yeah, the podcast is called The Comedy Wine List. I pair wines with comedians. So I've got a background in studying wine for an old job I used to have. Yeah, there's a whole system to that. Yeah, it's it's a bit crazy, but we do have some really, really beautiful wines on that. And I get steadily drunk with some of my best friends. So really, it's just an excuse to have a big old chat. And we talk about all sorts of things, not just comedy, not just wine, but personalities, relationships. So you really get a sense of who these people are. And a lot of them will probably be on Live at the Apollo in the future because there's some real talent on them in my friendship group. Not to brag, but yeah, they're, (laughs) they're incredible people. Thanks for listening. There's details about Steph's shows in the show notes, along with details of her Comedy Wine List podcast. If you enjoyed this, check out other episodes where we speak to a number of performers about their experiences at the Edinburgh Fringe, as well as creatives in other industries about making creativity pay.